Hey everybody, you know who we are, you know what's going on, and this is something a little bit different. This is Blast Points Presents, where it's not necessarily like us talking in an episode, we're presenting something else. And in this edition of Blast Points Presents, we have, you know him, you love him, our friend, frequent guest or whatever, Tom Spina from Tom Spina Designs and Regal Robot. And in this episode, you are going to hear a conversation that Tom had with multi-Oscar-winning visual effects supervisor Ken Ralston, who is a hero of ours, all-around cool dude, done all the cool stuff. Yeah, and Tom is talking to Ken about everything, all about Ken's career and his creature contributions to Return of the Jedi. So all the Blast Points fans love the maquettes from Star Wars to Jedi and classic creatures. And Ken was lucky enough and talented enough to sculpt a handful of those. And Regal Robot, of course, as you probably all know, just released their replica of the incredible Weequay maquette that Ken created. So if you want to learn more about that, you know where to go. Go to RegalRobot.com and find out all the details. And Tom released a YouTube, a video version of this conversation last week. But this, it was so good that we talked to Tom and we are releasing an audio version of Tom's conversation with the one and only Ken Ralston. And yeah, we are just happy to present this for everybody because it's seriously, it's good stuff. It's Spina. It's Ken Ralston. It's classic creatures. Return of the Jedi talk, all kinds of stuff. It's really good. So let's listen to it right now. Hi, Ken. Thank you for stopping down with us. Uh, and Hi, Tom. How are you today? I'm good. Good. For everybody who's tuning into this, uh, we've just gone through all sorts of technical stuff to make sure we can make this recording happen for you. Um, and I feel very fortunate to be sitting here with Mr. Ken Ralston, who is over there. I'm pointing in the wrong direction on my screen. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, um, I, you know... I think if anybody's here, they probably know your name already. They probably know what you do. But do you want to give us a brief intro, and then we can sort of talk fun stuff? Uh, yeah. Well, let's see. I'm Ken Ralston, a visual effects supervisor. Uh, I started at ILM on Star Wars when we were down in Los Angeles. Went up to Marin County. We did some movies. And then uh, people liked the movies, so we had jobs for a long time. And... That's kind of it. That's a good summary. <laughs> End of the video. Thanks, everybody, for watching. See you later. <laughs> um, so, for starters, I mean, I, I, the to start at ILM on Star Wars is kind of a special thing because ILM didn't even exist before Star Wars. It wasn't like you were just signing up for a job that, you know, you knew was good and stable. Right. Uh, I mean, I've said this story before, but, uh, you know, Dennis was contacted first. I'm not even sure how Dennis got, uh, how he was connected to uh, Dykstra and the group, but yeah. knew I somebody, think, I guess. I think Phil claims claims that one. Uh, that okay, we'll give it to him. <laughs> yeah, he needs more. Oh, I wanted to correct it. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Dennis had the script. Uh, John Berg and I, uh, we were in his somebody's car. I can't remember. It was might have been a Volkswagen because it felt very small. Went to a restaurant at lunch. We we're all working at Cascade Pictures, where we all sort of 
started really a great, great place to start and uh, looked at the script and it was really cool. And Dennis was going to go do that. And that was kind of it and kind of forgot about it. And then I got a call from Dennis saying, Hey, you want to be my assistant on uh, this movie called star Wars, you know, George Lucas. And I went, Oh, sure. <laughs> Thinking like anyone in any part of the movie business, well, this will be, what, six months, eight months, or whatever it's going to be, and then we'll all be on the street again, desperate to find right. another job. And I guess part of that was true, but uh, anyway, that's kind of how it all started, and uh, off we went. How many years later that it's like, oh, that, that couple of month job really, really held <laughs> up there, huh? Yeah, that really worked out well. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, none of us had a clue <laughs> yeah. what was about to, how could we know what right. was about to happen? Well, it's, it's, it's almost miraculous what did happen. And I, I don't mean that in any kind of like, um, you know, flowery kind of way, or even talking about the movie itself, but just that any movie gets made is sort of a miracle. It is because they are so painful <laughs> and full of problems and variables you can't anticipate. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I mean, in that movie, of course, because anyone who knows the history of it was nothing but headaches <laughs> for everybody, especially George. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you, you talked about Cascade. You talked about one of my favorite people in the entire world, John Berg, uh, yes. who I, I think might be my wife accuses him of giving her cavities just anytime she spends a little bit of time around him because he's that sweet. <laughs> Uh, oh man, you got that right. So where? So uh, how did you first intersect with John? And let's uh, let's talk about Dennis as well. And then you know the uh, cascade. How does that end up happening for you? Well, I hope some people out there know what I'm talking about. I guess <laughs> they would. But uh, Our when, when I was yeah. a little boy growing <laughs> up in Downey, California, uh, the only information of course i was nuts about fantasy films and monster movies when i was a kid and uh, makeups really yeah. kind of got me in, into this whole thing and there was a magazine called famous monsters of film land uncle Forrey. ackerman oh yeah, yeah Forrey. and uh i that was it that was the only information out there and believe me it was pretty sparse <laughs> in amongst all the puns and everything right but there was enough in there to just get me kind of excited about stuff. And there would be like contests to take the Aurora monster models and make them look cool. And then there was, a, you know, you could win a prize. Things that made it feel accessible. Mm. And at one point in my, I'm glad I don't have a copy of this letter. I can't imagine what it's like. But I wrote Forey, of course, thinking, I'll never hear from this person again. Right. And just said, I like your thing. And wouldn't it be fun? Anyway. He wrote me back. Did he write back? Or, or I guess he wrote me back and uh, said, hey, why don't you come over to the house? We'll show you the stuff. I didn't really know all of the stuff that was there. Right. So a friend of mine, Glenn Anderson and myself, uh, my folks uh, drove us over there. I can't remember. How old were we? I think we were like, I hate to think, 13? Oh, wow. Something. 12? I don't remember. Yeah. Went over there, and of course, holy yeah. crap. I mean, <laughs> his house was filled with the most amazing things. There's King Kong over here, the Emir. By the way, your Emir was very cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> just all kinds of uh, 
amazing things to see. And then also what was there was, uh, what was there? Who was there? <laughs> was uh, John Berg and Bill Hedge. And uh, both of them working at Cascade. Right. And they walked us through and told us about stuff. We must have been a little older only because I don't know if Glenn and I were starting to work on this 8mm opus. I don't think we had started yet, called The Bounds of Imagination. But anyway, we met the guys. We saw this amazing place and went away. We were invited again when Ray Harryhauser was visiting Ray. And uh, so we got a drunk. Folks drove us back there. Yeah. And... You know, what we might like I say, I was a kid, yeah. and there's Ray, and I didn't know what to say. I was a, so idiotic. <laughs> Years later, I saw a picture of Ray, and standing behind him is Phil Tippett, and I guess Phil was there. Oh, gosh. But I didn't you know. You just didn't know. Yeah. You know. Yeah, well, so anyway. Yeah. Well, it's we funny. So, somewhere there's a picture of you and I at Phil's, like the first time we met. And it's just one of those, like, we barely even talked that day. I think I was mostly talking right. to John or Don Bees or something. And it's just, you know, it's like, oh, wow, right. No, Ken, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy. Right, yeah. Oh, he was there, too. Um, so, anyway, we, we connected there. Then we went off, Glenn and I, to do this movie mm -hmm. during a course of a year while we were in high school. <laughs> and we would do it on the weekends, you know, blah, blah, blah. We show parts of the movie to John and I, I and Bill, and I think probably because Dave Allen was working there. Oh, yeah. And uh, I don't know if Jim Danforth, because he came and went. Dennis Murin was there. So we showed pieces of this to him, to the gang, and probably Phil Kellison and Joe Rayner. Anyway, they were like, whoa, whoa, that's pretty amazing for you two twerps. <laughs> and uh, they didn't say that, but well, that's my They said it, it in a nice way. Nice way. <laughs> And uh, we went away, and then uh, how did that work? I, I think we just got out of high school, mm -hmm. and I got a call from uh, – who called me? Maybe it was John. You don't even remember anymore. And uh, they were offering us a job for the summer to go there and work on a kid's film, uh -huh. and uh, we said no. No, we said <laughs> yes. And uh, – that's how it really started at Cascade. So we went and did this funky thing where we met Lane Liska, who was also animating on the project. And uh, anyway, that's how we kind of started stumbling into the world that I ended up in. Do you? So it's so funny because so many of um, the people I run into that wind up in this business, like for, for myself, it was the makeup was the first draw and the monsters. But like, you know, as a kid, it was eight millimeter films in the late seventies, early eighties. Then it was a VHS sure. camera and trying to figure out, you know, well, if I pause the VHS and I move someone out of frame and then we do it again and put a smoke pot, someone could look like they blew up, you know, like we were always trying to do some sort of effect. Was that you as a kid, like this opus of yours? Oh, I, yeah. I imagine definitely. it's just all effect shots. You know, uh, It was definitely me as a kid. I started when I'm guessing my folks had a, Kodak eight millimeter camera we probably got on green stamps or something. Oh yeah. And uh I must have been I hate to think how young. Was I in the sixth grade or seventh? It must have been sixth grade. We were making I was making movies then. One the first thing was called Unknown Island, a spec a fabulous motion picture. Uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> Fifty feet of eight millimeter footage and uh that's how that started. It sounds and like a double I was feature just, at the drive-in. You know, that's a perfect title. 
But I was fascinated with the whole thing. I didn't exactly, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but there was something you can't explain it. You know, when you get into these things, it just starts to be a fun thing to do. That's all just fun. And it's, and there's, there's a draw to it though. It's like a magic trick. Like you know, sometimes fooling people is fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, uh, then you'd show it to, you know, the neighbors and my folks and everyone go, Oh, wow. Well, that's, they were being kind of course, but <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> but you know, it was that kind of, uh, you know, just the uh, people commenting on it that gives you a little more incentive to do the next one. Right. And uh, it just kind of kept stumbling around like that. And I was also doing makeups. Do you remember the, um, the famous monsters issue that uh, Dick Smith did? Oh yeah. Well, I got that and I was trying to do some of those simpler ones and that, you know, I just kept doing that. But I also was obviously a huge Ray Harryhausen fan who I didn't even know who the hell he was. Right. I just see certain movies and go, well, why does that look so good? And everything else looks like shit out there. <laughs> and, uh, eventually I started seeing his name on the movie going, Oh, wait a minute, this guy. So, I started doing stop motion with uh, this little eight millimeter camera I had. My folks got me a uh, eight millimeter Bolex, three different lenses. Wow. And uh, that's how I was playing around with that stuff and with clay figures and right. all, you know, self motivated. Just, I'm sure my parents were worried. Right. <laughs> this, this is never going to work out for this guy. We're going to have to, I don't know, send him to a, some kind of therapist, for right? Some. some sort of. There's got to be a camp for this, like some kind of re-education <laughs> to you know, get them out. I yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, there should be some sort of support group for parents of FX kids, you know, so that they oh, can and all, they put up with yeah so much. Oh, my own, my right. Own he took over the basement. He turned it into a laboratory. There's you know, there's weird smells yeah. and, and and foam latex. Um, yeah. Did you? Um, did you know Bob Burns at all? Did you ever uh, join sure. any of the gangs doing his Halloween shows or anything? I, I kind of did very simple things on the uh, at a few of those, which were a blast. Yeah. And yeah, I met Bob because we're all part of the same sort of group that kept moving around together. Right. And uh, <clears throat> because no one else would have us. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I did the uh, the Exorcist one where Rick oh, yeah. had done some stuff. The thing in with, the attic. The thing, yeah, and I was doing drawers on a oh. little thing. I was slamming the drawers. Uh huh. And what else did I do? I think I was on the uh, oh, what was the other one? I can't remember. You know, a couple of them. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of what was after the Exorcist. Was it the Time Machine uh, that he did with I the was, rotating set walls? Uh, see, I wasn't there for that one. Okay. There was also one about the. Was it War of the Worlds? Saucer had crashed into yeah, the top of I, Bob's roof. I, yeah, that was one of them. And I think so it I was, was there for that. Yeah. Nice. I, yeah, I know he did a Jekyll and Hyde in the front room there. I, I'm lucky to know Bob and Kathy for like 20 years. And, and just like, I'm, well, Kathy, God rest her soul. But yeah, uh, definitely the two of the most supportive people any FX minded person could have ever met in their life. Um, right. Uh, I just, uh, yeah. Yeah, oh, a huge debt to both of them, and and I, I never got to go to Forey's, but I I know that feeling you're talking about because I think about the first time I went to go see Bob, and you know to go into Bob's basement oh, yeah. and just oh, <clears throat> holy cow, you know, like how do you even process this? Um, so, um, 
you, you mentioned Phil Kellison, and I'll just and then we'll we'll get away from the Cascade stuff for a minute. So Cascade, for anybody that doesn't know, old time uh, you know effects house that so many folks got started at that would do stuff for commercials, a lot of stop motion, um, and Phil Kellison was the guy there, right? That was yeah. I, I know that you know both um, Dennis and and uh, and John really credit Phil with being an early mentor and a huge supporter of them in their careers. Did you feel you got the same? Absolutely. I mean, I can't, I try to put myself in like Phil Kellison's place. So here I come in this 17 year old, nothing. And I get a job there and, you know, everyone there and Phil Kellison were so supportive, so kind. We had a blast. I learned so much, but you know, to put up with me trying to learn. These are for like national commercials and things that I'm involved in. And uh, I don't know if I would give someone a chance. I hope I would. <laughs> I and uh, anyway, I, he was amazing. And we really, we all owe him a lot of credit. Yeah. It's, it sounds like I, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a weird nexus. There's, there's a few of these things that sort of happen along the way where, you know, just, the right people cycle into the right place at the right time. And, yeah. you know, the, the people that, you know, everybody talks kind of about like, Oh, all the people that came out of ILM and, and that's amazing on its own. But if you take that half a step back and you just go, all the people that came out of cascade, like you mentioned Lane Liska, John Dennis, uh, uh, Phil did some time there. Uh, tip it to Phil would come in off and on. I did a few jobs with Phil and uh, Tex Avery was there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> You know, yeah. Okay. Yourself, of there. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, just Tex Avery. That's all. And um, Dave Allen, uh, Max Morgan. Oh, you know Max? I uh, no, actually, I don't. But um, Max Morgan was the uh, the down shooter, the animation camera guy wow. at Cascade, who had worked at Disney. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it really is just such a place, and and you know to be able to track it back to the the head there you know to go like okay well why was this such a magic why did so many people come out of it is it you know is, is a lot of that down to phil kellison and, and the sport he gave all these people and maybe just in picking the right people or just one of these weird nexuses in the world where the 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 you know the like-minded sort of found each other and uh especially all of the above i mean it's it was a lot of things because we were all obsessed Right, with effects of any kind, and we talked about it endlessly, and try to talk about the things we hated and the things we loved. Right. Anyway, um, try to incorporate that into our work. Yeah, yeah. No, and and I, I definitely get that. I know, you know, I've definitely gravitated towards the same kind of folks. People who are obsessed about the same things. You know, in our case, mostly about Star Wars or you know movies that came out when we were kids. Um, right. But even beyond that, it goes back to Ray's work. It goes back to, for me, certainly all the universal classics and stuff. I'm, I'm a huge <laughs> yeah. nut for all of that stuff. Um, okay, so all of this leads to you starting at ILM, at the start of ILM. And then 20 years there, about? Yeah, 20 years. Um, <laughs> and eventually visual effects supervising... Uh, I'm, I just, I have a short list that I saw online. It was Wrath of Khan, Cocoon, the Back to the Future movies, Roger Rabbit, Rocketeer, Death Becomes Her, Forrest Gump, The Mask, Jumanji, one of the Men in Black movies, Castaway. Um, are you tired just from hearing that list? That sounds like a lot of work. You know, I'm not tired because it doesn't even seem real. <laughs> you know, it's, it's weird. I look back and go, what? 
you, did I do any of this? I mean, that was me doing that? It's hard to believe at times because, first of all, how lucky could I be to get certain most of those projects there's a few clunkers out there but (laughs) (laughs) we don't have to talk about those (laughs) oh i'd probably get sued if i did because i'd go to a rant you wouldn't believe but uh uh yeah it was uh it was an also with the continuation of connections and the way things were going in the cosmos for all of us yeah it seemed to work out. I mean, I get caught up with, you know, I get connected to Bob Zemeckis when I'm at ILM. Yeah. He was going to do Cocoon, but no, they're going to take him off Cocoon, and I'm going to work with Ron Howard. Hey, now Bob's going to do Back to the Future. <laughs> so I do both movies at once somehow. <laughs> I don't and, know how. And I was going to say, and those are, you know, not effects light movies. Like, those are two you know, Back hitters. to the Future actually wasn't that heavy duty. It was going to be a lot worse. Hmm. And better, I thought. But, right. I mean, for the kind of work that I thought I could juggle better, uh-huh. a lot more miniature stuff where an atomic bomb was going to go oh, off. right, yeah. You know this story, yeah. right? And uh, that's how the car was going to go back to where it's supposed to be. Anyway. And then that got changed because, of course, it was too expensive for that first Back to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, so, yeah, we uh, went up there and things just started to click like in a way again. Who would have thought? Yeah, it's insane. I, you know, it's funny because, yeah, you're right. The first Back to the Future, I guess, you know, I kind of put the three together in my mind. Although for me, the first movie is such a, just. It's a beaut. As an overall, it's so self-contained and just, oh, it's so fun. Um, And the the sequels are fun too, though. And the, but those sequels are insanity when it comes to the effects stuff, you know, especially the second one. Um, You know, you're talking about doing Cocoon and Back to the Future concurrently at a time when effects was still much more handmade, you know, in a way, even just the printing and the opticals and stuff were a lot more heavy lifting. Uh, How does that process change supervising a movie like that between say, you know, something like Castaway or one of the men in blacks, you know, a couple decades later going back to Cocoon and Rocketeer and that kind of stuff. Well, obviously, a lot of the technology has changed. I mean, it's uh, you can get more subtle nuances with digital compositing, and you can do a lot of cool stuff if you know what the hell you're looking for. <laughs> or you can do a lot of crap yeah. and just shovel it out, which I also see way too much of, because there's we're, show me anything that doesn't have visual effects in it now. Everything. Yep. It does not exist. Yeah. And some of it's brilliant, and some of it's not so good. But the thing that's the same for me is what I'm looking for, and it's that final image. Now, how it all gets there is what has changed. And so you have to make accommodate during the analog days and models and stuff, which, by the way, were more fun than the digital days. 100%. (laughs) Just my own personal opinion. I suspected. (laughs) Plus, you know, you had a small group of people you knew. Instead of thousands of people spread around the globe, it kind of takes away some of the personal touches you can get. Anyway, uh, so that part, you know, is is quite different. But I always kind of approach everything the same way about I talk more about in in bigger terms on lighting, uh, action, drama, compositions, how, especially the new group of digital artists, there's so many of them, like, I know anything about what they're doing to that degree? No. And so I try to keep just talking about the movie, 
the look, what it means. What what are you trying to say with a shot? Don't just blast through something and think your one shot you're working on is the only thing the movie is about. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> so that's the approach. And also in the shooting of it, and in some ways it's become a lot easier because you can, let's face it, any dumbbell supervisor can get out there. You can shoot whatever you want, and it can work. And these, the, the way things are shot now, it may not work as well. And if to fix something may cost a fortune, but uh, you can't get yourself out of problems if you have to. But I still try to go in and do things in the most efficient, you know, time-sensitive, money-sensitive way as, as you can and not waste time. Yeah. And, and get the best blend. Get your lighting right in the, on the, the live action stuff so that it's easier yeah. to blend with the stuff later and all of that. Yeah. Sure. But it's, I, I, it yeah. reminds me a little. So we do, we do, we do a lot of digital work in, in when we're, you know, creating stuff. Sometimes there are pieces where we're scanning props and outputting them. Sometimes we're doing things where it's a combination of both. We still right. do plenty of hand sculpting, but I find a lot of the, you know, the, um, the guys who really tend to blow me away on their digital sculpts were guys that used to work in clay, uh, you know, especially on the organic stuff. They they just have the inherent uh -huh. feel for. But what I also think to. there's, a, and I'm sure Phil Tippett would totally go into this. It's like digital artists who are creating these creatures and stuff should be learning how to sculpt with clay and all this stuff. It gives you a different spatial reality. You understand things in a very different way. And uh, at least that's what I think. And you can apply it. It just kind of, it's something that goes deep inside of you and your intuition when you're doing it in a different format, it's all there. And it's, you know what you're, it becomes more like, you just know where to take it. It's like a language. It's almost like, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's like the alphabet you need to make the words, you know, it's like you right. can either just go and make the words and that works. But it's like, if you really know the alphabet, you can, you can get in there. Um, yeah. So... Uh, as we were saying before we started, blah, 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 Return of the Jedi. Right. Um, Return of the Jedi comes about. You So primarily on Jedi, you're doing uh, visual effects, space shots. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll get into the we'll, – we'll get to the creature stuff in a minute. But I look at those, those composites in some of those space shots where there's, I, you know, countless elements on the screen. How in the heck are you tracking that and figuring it? And the camera's got to move backwards from the, you know, to the thing. And you're, you know, you're, how do you guys track that? How did that? We're all super geniuses. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. Did it say that? <laughs> well, um, luckily before Jedi, we had, you know, we were beaten into understanding how the, the Dykstra Flex worked and that kind of way of shooting these things, which was a big learning process, you know, process over the, the first film and the second one too and uh how you keep track of it well you start off with either you have some form of uh previs at the time or you have uh what you know we would come up with basically joe johnston drawings or nilo rotis the storyboards that would show what in an ideal world what george might want no matter who the director who got credit was on the film, but <laughs> it was George. And so I would just take that and I'd say, okay, well, what are the big important elements here? Let's say it's that shot everyone brings up 
but there's others. Yeah. It's the Millennium Falcon coming at us. It's being chased, and there's TIE ships firing, and there's yeah. crap in the background. There's ships everywhere going nuts. So you go, okay, I know the Falcon's important. <laughs> I'll start there. So I'll program that, and you're right. So the ship starts far away. The camera's at the end of the track. Right. And the camera's doing this, and the model's rolling, and we go by the model, back it up. Any light passes, shut the lights off, turn the lights on, do it on one of that, do it again. Any diffusion passes. Anyway, oh that's gosh. your first step. Yeah. And then you also, as you're doing this, before you shoot the actual color footage, you're shooting an RAR. What's that stand for now? I don't remember. It was a military black and white film. Basically, you would shoot that, it would pop out a negative. Right. Very quickly. So you could take that as your starting point, and you would run that on the projector, your eight millimeter, I mean, moviola. Right. That was specifically for film. And then you would start going, okay, there's that. Now I need to, and, and you have a grid. This is boring, but nice. you have a grid on the moviola, and you say, okay, look, that little square there, that's where I need a tie ship, and it's going to go up the grid at this point here, and you lay that out, and it's all drawn out for me. And then you take it to the set, you put in a tie ship, and you start running through this process of all the different ships, the actions you want it to have, uh, the light, make sure the lighting's all close to what it should be. And then the background stuff, uh, even if I didn't personally shoot it, I mean, we knew what we needed. Right. And I can't remember if I did on that shot or not. I may have. Yeah. Because all the stuff was there's on like the stage. Planet, you just and there's a Death Star and goodness. Yeah. I, and then you would say, good luck, optical. And right. What <laughs> yeah. Here's... Here's a, a bucket of film rolls. Good luck with this. Right. You know? um, okay. I, I assume you guys use buckets. I don't know. When you get to a certain amount of film, that's just the only measure. It's probably true. <laughs> um, did uh, so? I, I someone online fingered you as the guy who snuck a sneaker into uh, one of the shots, and a, I believe a potato. Uh, mm. Can we go on record? Are we are are you prepared I'm to sure. own up I mean, to that? <laughs> Well, you know, it's the potatoes are uh, they're in the asteroid field. Well, it's only because <laughs> who knows why? Because I'm a, a jack. Look like a potato. <laughs> well, some of the models look like potatoes, and I'm sure I was with the guy who was assisting me, Cell Eddie, uh -huh. and I was just probably going, "Wow, you know, you could have just stuck some potatoes up here." And then, of course, the way I do things is like, "Hey, you know what? Yeah, let's go to Ralph's." At our dinner break, uh, pick up some potatoes because we were shooting on the night shift, so no one could see us do it. Of course, yeah, that <laughs> explains a lot. And stick some potatoes on the uh, the model mover, and, and <laughs> not ones that are featured, of course. Of course not, no. And they're flying through there, and then the sneaker. I think it was uh, it was actually a photo of my sneaker. Oh, <laughs> and uh, I used to put a lot of weird stuff in the background just because. You can't tell. Right. There'd be wads of gum for ships and things like <laughs> that. It's, well, anyway, you, it's just, it's just, it's minutiae. In the old days, it's like an old battleship model for, let's, you know, say some 1940s war movie. Right. If you ever got a good close look at one of those big miniatures, you'd go, are you kidding me? Right. Is that on the surface? A bunch <laughs> of wooden blocks and a bunch of junk? Yeah. <laughs> but it works in the context. And it's really, it's, to me, it's really about learning the language of what you're doing. Yeah. 
what's really noticeable? What are you seeing that makes sense or not makes sense? What do you want to waste your time on or spend the real critical hours you have on the really important elements? The rest, you can get in there if you know what you're doing. What's going to be out of focus? What's going to be in the background? Exactly. A, a so little like matte painting, maybe. Because, you know, matte paintings, most people who see them in person, the first time they see a matte painting, they go, that's so loose. That's, that's so right. soft. Is this really what that looked like? It looked photorealistic on the screen. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about knowing where you can get away with that. That's um, right. And it's, and it's a good lesson, too, because I can tell you in the digital realm, mm -hmm. as you're getting into that, a lot of folks, in, you know, in certain instances, seem to just naturally go the hardest, complicated, expensive way possible because yeah. that's what the system's built for. Mm -hmm. And trying to simplify things can be more difficult. I've done it in other movies, and we've figured out ways to get around certain things. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's not as simple as to grab the dumbest thing you can imagine, <laughs> what's next to you, throw it out there and shoot it and get away with it. Right. Well, I, I just think it's neat that we've just uh, launched probably hundreds or thousands of people online looking for a wad of gum in the background of one of your movies now. So um, I can tell you, yeah. it's the scenes of the, uh, is it the, the uh, rebel uh, good guy ships in, in Jedi? The ones that look like giant sausages? Yeah, the little or, pickle ships. Yeah, yeah. The pickle <laughs> ships. Yeah, that's what we used to call it. Um, it's in those shots. Ah, uh, wow. Yeah, there's there are people right now going to like Disney Plus and pausing a 4K screen to see what they can find. It probably um, also because the fans can be so ravenous at times. Yeah. What flavor gum was it? Oh, no. Do you no. recall? <laughs> no, I hope not. With, you know, like, if you want to know, ask in the comments, folks. Like and subscribe. You know, um, <laughs> the... Um, I'll, I'll give you two more ship questions, just because I, I'm I, as much of a creature guy as I am. I'm, I'm a mo I, like I love models too. I love just the practical nature of that stuff that you guys are making back then. Did yeah. you have a favorite ship working on the Star Wars films? And was uh, there one that was particularly tough to shoot? It's probably the same ship. It's the uh, the Millennium Falcon, at least on the the big version of yeah. the Millennium Falcon. It was one of the first models made for the first film, right? And uh, it weighed a ton, <laughs> and it, it just all it was was it, it took a lot of logistics to put it in the simplest place to shoot and to do the simplest moves, so that made it hard. But it was a fun ship to light. And then when Empire came around, and I saw the kinds of scenes I was hopefully going to do, the model shop we had them build the smaller two foot model so it could be more acrobatic, and we could actually get stuff shot for the movie. Yeah. And that was used, not all the time, but it was used for shots that made sense to use it in. Yeah. High ships chasing it and all of that. And it, uh, that I always liked the Millennium Falcon. I just thought it was a cool design. It's very unique. And I think, um, you know, the stuff they captured for Empire, you know, that, that you guys pulled off there, you know, some of those ship moves are just beautiful on that thing. Yeah, the, I, you know, I'm sure everybody throws these things at you. But, yeah, the little the flip up into the cave uh, it's such a gorgeous shot. The camera move that goes with it, and the and of course the musical cue with the little you know the flutes up and down on it. Uh, there uh, is the music. <laughs> yeah, it helps, right? <laughs> it helps a lot. Um, so uh, I, I I I'll have uh, uh, someone will be very upset with me. I don't if, if I don't ask about all those sort of comic art drawings you did for the the Return of the Jedi behind the scenes. I guess crew. Uh, how does that stuff come, uh, come about? Is that just 
you know, more more free time on the night shift or <laughs> it's waiting around while the camera's shooting something. It can take a long time. And I'm always doodling. I mean, I'm drawing all the time. So I'd sit there and try to come up with some stupid images. <clears throat> By the way, thanks for sending me some of those stupid images. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I hadn't seen some of them for a while. <laughs> and uh I would do night crew notes. So uh-huh. I would write stuff that I wanted the day shift to do. Uh-huh. Uh, to continue on what I had been doing in, on the night shift or, or what we needed. Mm-hmm. And so it would it would just kind of be that sort of thing. And I would draw whatever it was. I'm sure some of it is so tasteless and awful. <laughs> and one thing you sent me, the uh, job of the hut on Darth. Oh, yeah. What I think that was is George wanted, because we were all, you know, being beaten and uh, we were wore out. So he was asking everyone to come up with a design for a shirt, T-shirt, that's all. Right. Of uh, something like saying, uh, I hold up under pressure, something like that. <laughs> and so I did a series of drawings. Of, I think that's one of them. And I think he actually picked one with Yoda in a straight jacket that I had. Done. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, I'll keep my eyes out for that. It was uh, Jason Gibner was the one who, who found those and sent them. So, Jason, uh, Ken, thank you. Thank you, you Jason. <laughs> it was fun to see. It's also there was that one. SketchUp just looks like a zombie face going, ah, yeah. which I haven't seen for who knows how long. I, yeah, I'm i a doodler, too. I get that. I have some people at, at the shop with me that, you know, you just can't leave a scrap of paper anywhere near some of these folks. It's just it's going to there's going to be something on it by the time they leave. You know, I would do a lot of doodling up in my office and draw stuff. Some of it probably relatively finished just for laughs. Okay. And I would throw it in my trash can. And uh John Knowles' now wife, Jennifer, was working at ILM at the time, and apparently she pulled stuff out of my trash can <laughs> that she still has. So I don't know what she's got, but you know, they're I mean, probably that's... worth pennies by now. Pen- maybe even nickels. I, to me, that sounds like an art show. You know, it's like Ken Ralston's <laughs> trash, you know? Yeah. Um, and I guess the apostrophe there, it's like, is that possessive or is that like an is? You know, I don't know. We'll leave that... That's the beauty in the interpretation of art. You That's know? right. It's how you want to see it. That's right. Um, so we started talking again here because of the Weakway maquette, which yeah. uh, you sculpted for the Jedi Creature Crew. So we're for folks out there, we're doing this line of uh, maquettes. It's called the Archive Collection. We're going to the Lucasfilm Archives and scanning all of these amazing little bits of, of concept art into uh, the digital space so that we can output them really as accurately as possible for people. And, you know, we've got a few out so far and, uh, Weequay is the, the next up. Um, I always, so that sculpt always jumped out at me among the rest of them. Uh, he's stoic, he's haunting, he's noble. There's, um, you know, beautiful wrinkling and details and, uh, and, uh, the, the hair and all of the, the necklace, like he's, he's got a ton going on him. And I love the style of the paint on him in particular. Um, so where does, so how do you wind up going from models and stuff to making these maquettes for the creature shop? Well, uh, luckily some of us we're doing all kinds of jobs before we even got to ILM just because we were nuts and we loved it. And so I was always sculpting stuff for my own fun or when I was at Cascade sculpting things we might need for some of the shots, or I would test myself as sculpting characters in clay on a uh, armature, casting the whole thing and just learning, learning, learning. 
and uh, loved all of that. And I had a certain knack for some sculpting. I'm no Phil Tippett, but I could kind of fight my way through some stuff. And when we were offered, because I hadn't, the first thing I did on Jedi was to be connected to the monster shop that Phil was heading up. And that was, was asked, you know, what kind of designs can this whole group right there? You're, that's why ILM was so great. All of you people, why don't you put your hands in it, you know, get to some paper, whatever, sculpt. You're all being offered this chance to come up with some stuff. It's like, oh, okay. Right. How yeah, fun is did, that? They didn't just hand you a bunch of designs and say, here, make this. They said, yeah, design dream it. some stuff yeah. up. Yeah, so we we all went off. I mean, some of the things you sent me, I would do some real quick, sloppy sketches on paper. Uh-huh. In fact, one of them, it's funny because I obviously had drawn a uh, dog creature to be used that wasn't used, but I obviously stole it for uh, Star Trek Three. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a dog character I did yeah, for uh, yeah. It's Chris Lloyd's dog. That's so you see, I wasn't even going to take the time to come up with a new do- design. <laughs> <laughs> when you've done good work, you go back to it. You know, um, uh, I, I will. Anyway, say, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. no, no. I was just going to compliment you. I, I believe Star Trek Three. I, I I find that movie to be so fun, just in general. But the, that's another one where the the effect shots are just some amazing, beautiful things in that movie. And, well, thanks. Uh, yeah, it was I, a lot of fun. Uh, anyway. Uh, but anyway, I, so we all did our thing. So there were drawings and some maquettes. Some maquettes I did more elaborately. Mm-hmm. I was trying to come up with an idea for the Weequay character that was, well, some of these are supposed to be out with Jabba's hut. Jabba the hut. Jabba's hut. Jabba the hut's, you know, uh, ship out there is a boat thing and uh in the desert it's hot what would that look like and then i started sculpting it i guess i i was flashing on the old uh moby dick movie mm. and queequeg of course it doesn't look anything like that person really and uh, i didn't even put any you know, tattoos on his face i think at the beginning i probably was thinking of doing it but it wouldn't work with the wrinkles so mm. I just started doing that, just the head, and uh, sculpted it in Sculpey, cooked it, painted it with acrylic paint, had fun, had a great time doing that. And there's the hair piece. I don't know where I got that fake hair from and yeah. uh, the ponytail. Yeah. And, and just it was fun coming up with the little nonsensical things that go on. And you never knew what George was going to pick out of this stuff. So that was one of several others that I had done, and uh, some of them made it into the movie. Yeah, well, and and you know the the Weequay, It's funny. You know, so they call him Queequeg throughout the production process. It looks like there's lots of little yeah. callouts and names here and things. And I, 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 you know, I definitely what you're saying resonates. It's like you know you you saw something and you pulled the inspiration from it, but you didn't copy it. You know, mm-hmm. and something new came out of that. And I think you know that's kind of a thing all effects guys kind of do. You know, we absorb, we digest, and then we spit yeah. out something new. But um, I, yeah, I just think it's a really neat maquette. I think it's got um, that that sense of nobility about it. There's something, there's that stoic head back. I, I love there's like an indication, maybe it's like a little ear hole or something way in the back because he doesn't have, you know, he's got big ears, but he's got something else behind it. And then he's got, I couldn't remember, did I put something in his ears? Or I, you know, he's got a little ears. earring in one ear, the top. Oh, okay. Um, and I know he's got like a little necklace on. Um, 
which just stuff I found or <laughs> yeah, it's just it's neat. Um, it's a really cool one. We you know it's of course all those little elements you add onto it just make it harder for us when we go to recreate this stuff. So thanks, but you know, <laughs> um, but we're doing our best, and it's uh, it's going to be uh, a really neat addition. It's funny actually the the prototype is hanging out up on oh, the yeah. shelf over there. Um, but uh, with next to the Max Rebo, Phil's Bib Fortuna, uh, that's yeah. Phil's Jabba, uh, Tony McVeigh's Gamorrean from one of the more modern things, and some of Phil's Tauntaun <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah, to- to- oh, Tony's another just uh, yeah. Yeah, sweet, yeah, yeah. sweet, nice guy. And oh boy, is he a brilliant sculptor. Um, no kidding. Uh, so, um, in, in, you mentioned some of the other ones. So there was one that the production called Wolf. Which always kind of confused me because he doesn't look like a wolf at all. But that's he was eventually known as Klaatu, and he's the sort of scaly reptilian guy. He's got the hat. Uh, you did a little bust sculpt, very similar scale and size to the weak way. Um, do you want to talk about him at all? You know, all that was said to me, yeah. the the weak way, nothing was said. Uh-huh. But at one point during the course of this, I guess George had said. I want to get like like a lizard looking guy. That's all. Yeah. That's all you hear. Yeah. Oh. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll go try and do that. And uh, <laughs> da, 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 and that's how that showed up. Nice. And then yeah, we've uh, the folks at home will know these names. I'm somewhat better with the crew names myself. But there's Pot Snitkin, who's like a full body. You went whole, you know, just right to the craft store on that guy. He's got an outfit. He's got a hunchy yeah. pose. Six nostrils. I, I wanted to have some fun with it, and actually, I like that that design a lot. I always sort of thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I wish it had been in the movie more. Yeah, isn't that always like the, just in the background? He's like got the the rudder on a skiff or something right. running it. Yeah, uh, isn't yeah. it always the way? Like the, you know, the the coolest ones never seem to make it in front of the camera. That's true. Um, and uh, the the long neck guy's real cool kind of got turned up in the prequels, although I think your sculpt is more alien. The anatomy on the face is more unique, a little you less know, I had it. I actually had asked, because uh, I saw whatever prequel that was. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, sorry, folks. And, and uh, I saw this one character in one of the scenes. I was thinking, oh, that's funny. That sort of reminds me a little bit. Yeah. But what are the odds of that? And then I had talked to Doug Chang at some point, and he was saying, yeah, they went back through a bunch of that old stuff and went, hey, they pulled stuff out, and that really is how it got in there. I kind of like – Star Wars tends to do that. You know, the the people who are, you know, doing the the, the, the art departments and the, and stuff like that now, uh, they, they dig through what wasn't used on the originals because, you know, you guys put out so much work that there was okay. only so much that could get in. And, and really, you know, some of the cast-offs are great pieces and really interesting mm-hmm. looks. Um, the, um, when you were doing those little designs, you know, it, you basically, you make it sound like you just had a totally free hand. Was anybody coming by and saying, no, try this, no, try that. It was just, you guys went and, and played. Just did it. In fact, I probably did some of it at home. I mean, I just yeah. would do whatever I was doing during the day and then, uh, you know, get the old Sculpey out and there you go and yeah. have some laughs with it and then bring it in and. You just waited to hear, you know, is that what you want? Or, right. But I didn't show it like you'd be forced to do now right. every couple of minutes to somebody. Oof. And so anyway, I would just 
just put the finished product in front and boom. That's amazing. It was either in or it was out. And, and George was a pretty good curator, I think, of creatures, it seemed. Yeah. Um, you was. know, there's when you look through all of those designs, I mean, he had a great uh, uh, shelf of, of goodies to choose from, but yeah. he really picked the strongest stuff. And uh, I think because he had so many different hands on it, you got these bold and different and varied, you know, it doesn't look like your typical monster movie where all the monsters feel the same. They all have the same vibe. <laughs> like you guys really went a lot. I mean, you made one that looks like a lobster on a rock, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, uh, and and they made that guy too. Like they actually, somebody actually sculpted the rock lobster. I, I was actually shocked that made it in. I mean, it actually was made because yeah. it was such a hideous little thing. Uh-huh. Anyway. <laughs> oh, hey. When it came time to take those maquettes and turn them into full-size stuff, were you still in the creature department at that point or you had moved on? So. I wasn't around with, I would, obviously, you're at a, working at a place where I went off to do Star Trek II. Mm. The Wrath of Khan. The and, movie uh, no one's ever heard of. They've never heard of it, and no one likes it. Nobody. But, nobody. <clears throat> but that was, a, that was a blast, by the way. Yeah. And uh, plus it was a chance to like, be my, you know, be a supervisor. Shared supervisor credit, right. but still. And so I got that break. But at that time, then Phil and the other people in the monster shop, which you can walk over and visit and see what they're doing, go see what's happening on Star Trek Two, go see. That's the way the place was. And uh, what a wild, great time that was. And uh, go in. And I'll be honest. I don't think I ever said this to Phil. And I apologize, Phil. I always was a little miffed that we, Quaig, was sculpted to look older and more haggard for the movie. <laughs> Up here, he sort of yeah. got, lost that stoic sort of thing that yeah, I was he going had that, for. He was a little he more like an old, he was an old week. <laughs> All right, Phil. Um, oh, we're, Phil. Yeah. Going to have to have Phil on next and we'll, we'll just fight this out. I feel like this would be the time in the talk show where like, well, we've got Phil right now and we bring him He's in. Right then, off camera yeah. here. <laughs> um, well, it's funny. One of the things I was going to ask is how did you feel about the interpretations of your sculpts to full scale? Um, you know, and certainly, so, okay, we know how you feel about Weequay. Everybody else? Uh, it's all fine. It's all okay. fine. And the Weequay is fine. All right. Well, Phil, he's going to let you off the hook. Yeah. Um. Now, if he had been like a character who had a big role or something, yeah. I'd be like, well, I... Anyway, so, yeah, the I, others looked pretty close to what I did, I think. Yeah, it's it's pretty close. I, I almost wonder. I have to look. I don't know if they took his – did they take his ears off for the final? I'll, I I have to look now. I've been so focused oh, on the right. maquette, I've started to lose how the, the final looked. Um, so, you know, we're now almost 40 years since you made that little skull. Probably over 40 years because you probably did that in uh, – well, when you were – you were very young at the time, though, so it's fine. Um, oh boy! <laughs> so, forty years later, that character now, and I, you know, I don't expect that you're necessarily following along all because there's so much Star Wars that comes out. Probably not. But you know, so in one of the animated series, there's a big character who's who's a weak way alien. Um, there's a, a character that showed up in the um, the Mandalorian show and the Book of Boba Fett, who's a, a speaking role that's a weak way character. One of the you know more foreground. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. 
Um, there's one even in the Disney ride down in uh, down in the Star Wars land in Disney World. Uh, they have. You know, I guess maybe Disney lost my address or something. I haven't right? got any royalty. That's weird. Either. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, I you know that's it. it's tough to keep track. It's that, look, it was forty years ago, so you know oh, maybe they sent it to the old address. Uh, I you know, probably got returned. <laughs> um, I think, uh, but it's kind of neat that 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 design indoors. Um, yeah, that's fun to know. I, I have no idea. I'll I'll dig up some pictures for you to show you the interpretations. They're all unique. They're but it's you know it's cool and it you. Know, how does it feel when you see stuff like that? When you know you come back years later and you see people are still buying action figures of something you sculpted? I don't know. I mean, it just seems very surreal to me. I, I feel very lucky that we had any chance to be involved with all these different aspects of the movie. Hmm. And I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, even now, how many years later, and it's still we're discussing it. Yeah, we're having this talk, and that's we're having this talk about this movie that's forty years old, and it's like okay. Uh, Wow. Yeah. It's too weird for me to take even seriously. It's just kind of an odd part of our society. It's just an amazing moment yeah. that these films are so uh, big for so many different generations. Yeah. And to go down your list, I mean, granted, I left the stinkers off, but like that list, there's there's a lot of movies in there people still talk about and people yeah. absolutely love with a passion. And well, it's all up to me. I mean, it's absolutely no, a hundred percent. Yep. <laughs> but it's yeah. you know, you guys had the folks that inspired you. You guys now inspire us. We now, you know, hopefully someday inspire someone else. And it's this yeah. great cycle that keeps going. Um, I think uh, I have a, a just kind of two or three little kind of joined up questions, I think, to close us out. We've gone very long. Thank you for all the time today on uh, a sure. fun chat. I'm really enjoying this. Um, you know, so one, I'll, I'll ask, what do you think makes a good monster just in general? God. Uh, big teeth. <laughs> uh, what makes a good monster? You know, it's sort of dependent on the movie. I think if it's character driven, you were mentioning the old universal monster mm -hmm. films, but so many makeups and brilliant makeups over the years for different movies. Uh, it's uh it's a combination, obviously, of whatever actor's playing this role and what the role has been written to be, mm. which is vital. And then, uh, you know, actor and then the makeup design, utilizing what it needs to be to tell the story of who this character is. It's not just slapping some big eyes on something, some antenna, and putting blood in its mouth and saying, yeah, that, that's good enough. Move. Put it out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which happens, but... Uh, it, it can take a lot of like, I don't know, thinking, you know, it's not like Rick Baker goes in there and doesn't give a shit about what he's sculpting. There's a lot of thought that goes into the whole, whole characterization of this, whatever it is. Then if it's a big giant city smashing something or other, well, just have fun with it. You know, <laughs> you might want to take into consideration, well, something is so big. What would that have to look like? generally never matters to anybody right yeah no. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but, you know right. it's just also it's about having fun with uh what it might want to be i think when things get too unless it's the movie needs it but if things get so alien and be, beyond being able to recognize anything in it that's part of this planet 
I think audience has a hard time connecting to or getting any sort of emotional kick out of it. Yeah. It becomes too weird and it's like, man, I don't know. What the hell am I looking at? Right. Unless that's what they want. Right. And uh, <laughs> so that that's something I usually try to do, even in weird stuff, is uh, incorporate things that were either animals that you could recognize or get a sense of something that was somewhere in the back of your mind you you could connect to. So a visual hook that, that locks right. into an emotional kind of thing. I, it's, like, uh, it's like the baby dragons for Dragon Slayer. Mm. That was like a, uh, well, I, I took a, a, the idea of a bat and a bulldog, both animals, and smashed right. them together. <laughs> sort of, that's how that With came With a sprinkling about. of dragon. And With a little go. dragon in there and based on Phil's mama dragon. Right, which is amazing. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. No, and sure that's is. I. You know, I think the context that you talk about is really, uh, you know, key and crucial to to say, you know, not just what makes a good monster, but what makes this monster for this movie good, you know, or this right. monster good for this movie. Um, <laughs> one of You're those speaking like a monster. That's a Tom like monster, uh, <laughs> and um, so. This is this kind of goes with the how things have changed over the years, but there is still a fair amount of prosthetic work being done in movies, and it seems like lately even more practical yeah. monsters and things like that. Um, even a little stop motion here and there. Uh, why do you think those techniques endure? Uh, I I'm not sure really. I guess it's because I don't know if this is true. I'm going to pretend it's true. Sure. Uh, that. For me, there is a real magic to prosthetics and a real actor portraying a, a character instead of a full CG. I mean, and there's brilliant work like that, of course, but there, there's something really special about it when you, you know, there's, I think when the makeup goes on, if it's the right actor, that just adds to a performance and they can become so much that character and get that across to the camera I think that is very cool. Plus, just the craft of it for me. To see a really well-done makeup job, it doesn't have to be a monster. It can be anything. And I'm seeing amazing work on these people playing just other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, wow, that is amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I just like the artistry involved in that. There's artistry in the other two. Absolutely. I'm just fond of that. Sure. And it means a lot. And like stop motion too. There is a, there can be a hands-on feel to it. And to me, it's an accessible technique. Yeah. It's something that for puppetry and stuff, it's like Tim Burton's been keeping that alive for years. I think Guillermo del Toro is about to come out with Pinocchio. I don't know if okay. that's digital or CG. I mean, digital or, or yeah, stop motion. Or, yeah. Or some I haven't seen enough of it to tell me. Yeah, uh, I'd like to think it was stop motion. I think with him it might be right. And uh, but it, it's a it's just another art form. It's a tool to be used in a way that is best for your movie that you're making. That's all. Well, I think that's a wonderful place to uh, to cap this great conversation. I thank you so much for just all your time today uh, for chatting about all this old stuff and new stuff and, and, uh, and calling out Phil Tippett. And, uh, <laughs> I look forward to the comments where people tell us that they found the chewing gum. <laughs> um, and it'll uh, be hard, but yeah, I had a great time chatting. I hope you did too. I did. It was great. <laughs> I had a blast going down 
what's left of my memory lane. <laughs> I think that's a perfect place to end this. Uh, thank you all for watching. Please like and subscribe and hit the button however the kids do it. And uh, thanks. We'll see you soon. Bye.